again, congratulations to the graduates. I think one of my favorite things about like going to the graduation parties, like more than the food, which is pretty stellar, but it's always like the, the little boards that they, you know the ones I'm talking about with the pictures all over them, where you can see like, here's what you look like in seventh grade, and we all kind of giggle just a little bit, and then you keep going, and you're like, ah, oh, the toddler, and toddlers are the best, right? I know every life stage is the best, but there's something spectacular about toddlers, because you can just throw toddlers in a room, and they are just having fun. They're going to have a good time. They're going to entertain themselves. But inevitably, church, isn't it true that if toddlers are playing long enough, there's one particular word that's going to come out of their mouth every single time? It looks kind of like this. Yeah, so I thought about finding a video of more dialogue, but I think you get the point, right? Mine, like it's, it's mine. Church, we all have passions, don't we? We have burdens, we have gifts, we have talents. But if we're not careful, we start to cling to mine. We think they're all for us and we want to build our story and our fame and our glory higher and higher and higher. And that's just not the calling that we have in the gospel. We know that if you're going to follow Jesus, we're told that if you want to pursue greatness, you have to be a slave to all. If you want to find forgiveness, you have to forgive those around you. If you want to be powerful, you're going to embrace not really weakness, but you're certainly going to embrace meekness, right? Meekness means there's power and reserve. There's more there. I may not be unleashing it, but there's more power. That's what meekness is about. If you're going to follow Jesus, essentially you're going to die to yourself. That's what it means, right? You deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. To pick up your cross means you're willing to die to yourself. Church, this is week number two of our sermon series called A Kingdom in Chaos, where we're studying the book of First Samuel. In fact, go ahead and take your Bible right now, open up to First Samuel chapter two. First Samuel chapter two. As you're turning there, my name is Billy Creech. I have the honor of being your campus pastor. And before I go any further, I know CT already mentioned it, but there is a marriage retreat coming up. It's the very last weekend of June, going into the first part of July. So it's like the 29th, 30th, and 1st. It's at the Lodge in the Romeo campus. We get a week end with just our campus. There's just one problem. I haven't advertised it until now because there's only spaces for 10 total couples. And so we tried to just kind of like, let's see who goes online and finds this thing. Let's keep it kind of quiet. There's two slots left. So I'm telling you about it because the first two people let me rephrase that. The first two couples, you can't go alone to a marriage retreat, right? First two couples to sign up, you're going to get the slots. But I think they're locking it down Tuesday or Wednesday. They're locking down sign-ups. And whatever we have is what we have. So I want you to have an opportunity. You'll go online, woodsidebible.org slash the lodge. And if you go, you'll find where it says the Romeo Weekend. You'll want to get signed. And the way you do it, just so you know, because I had to figure it out. You'll sign up like you or your spouse and then you got to sign up the other one, you or your spouse. So there's going to be two sheets you have to fill out. Anyway, time in. Let's get back. So we're in this world in chaos right now, church. We are because we live in a world of its mind. That's the world we live in. And so what you see when you watch the news, when you look at social media, isn't it true that it's a world where people are clawing and, and scraping and scratching and, and saying, I want what I want, and I want it now. Like, I want what I want, and I want it now. But it's all about my thoughts, my hopes, what I want. It's about me. And so what we end up doing is we end up taking our reverence for God, our pursuit of God's holy word, and we shelve that. 
so that we can pursue self-centeredness, self-sufficient, self-intelligent, self-glorifying lives. And that's just not what we're called to, which brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that in a self-serving world, we need to serve the Lord. Again, in a self-serving world, we need to serve the Lord. So if you're following the story arc of the Scripture in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel comes after Judges. The book of Judges, you have Israel going along. They're supposed to be following the Lord, but all of a sudden they are surrounded by all of these nations that are in this mind-driven mindset. And Israel starts to adopt so many of those practices. They're watching what's going on in the world around them, and they say, we want to adopt that. And it goes to the point of Judges 21-25 that says this. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So God, God was meant to be their king in all the provisions they're in, right? They were supposed to receive the blessings of God and the protection of God and the relationship with God, but instead they pushed that away and they said, I want to build my own story for my own glory. Thank you very much. That's, that's the state of where we find things. Now, I know I don't need to tell you this, but anytime you reach, in the, reach into the Old Testament, you're going to see there's promises made to the nation of Israel, and there's judgments against the nation of Israel. Church, you can't take a pencil and just scratch out Israel and write the United States of America. Okay, you can't do that. You can't just say, we are now the promised people. Like, that's not the way it works. However, there are lessons that can be learned from the successes of Israel as well as the failures that they experience. So we're watching this story of Israel unfold. And as we're watching the story unfold, this is a very dark time. It's a very chaotic time. It's a time where, where the, the people are just clinging to mine. And I want you to know that even in that time, even in that place, there's hope. We heard that from CT's message last week, didn't we? Even in that place of darkness, there is hope. And I want you to know the same is true for you. I, don't, I really don't know what you're facing I know some of you because we've talked a little bit, but I know there's people with financial uh, stresses and challenges where it's chaotic. I know with your health, maybe it's chaotic. I know uh, with relationships for our graduates, I don't know, maybe you're looking at the future, going the future seems chaotic to me. You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's next, and it's, it's a little bit scary. Even in that place, you can find hope, even in that place. Last week, we heard it through Hannah. Hannah was not able to conceive. She wanted a baby so bad, was not able to conceive. She continued to pray and pray and pray to the Lord until all of a sudden she was pregnant, right? She was pregnant with Samuel, and she made this promise to God, God, I'm going to take this child, and I'm going to hand this child over to you. This child is for your glory. I'm going to give you this child. And that's where we're going to pick up 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. The Word of God says this. Listen to this faith-filled prayer. It's awesome. Then Hannah prayed, and she said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. and the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Isn't that awesome? That fires me up because I don't think that's always what we do. You know what I think we do? We have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We have chaos that happens in our lives. And so we start to pray, Lord, help me. Lord, Bless me. Lord, protect me. And if we're really, really selfless in our prayer, we'll say, 
help bless and protect the people I really like and care about. Like that's how we tend to do prayer. Right? And then inevitably something happens, there's a breakthrough. Something happens that you can't explain. It's only explainable by the hand of God at work in your life. And you know what we do? Maybe you don't do this. Maybe I've only been the only one to do this. But sometimes I think we do this. I think we go, whew, I feel better. Man, I prayed and everything's good now. Look how good I did. I did it. I solved that problem. I led well through the challenges. I'm awesome. I think that's what we do. We pat ourselves on the back, don't we? But that's not what Hannah did. What Hannah did in this moment is she stopped everything and she gave all the glory to God. She worshiped the Lord. She gave the Lord the credit for everything that had been happening. Again, the big idea in a self-serving world, serve the Lord. We're really going to zoom in today on verses 12 through 26. And we're going to follow these two story arcs. Okay, one, you have Eli the priest. Now, Hannah took this baby, Samuel, and handed the baby over to the Lord. And she handed him physically over to Eli, the high priest. Eli also had two sons. So we're going to follow the story of his two sons. And then we're going to follow the story of Samuel. Okay, so two stories, Samuel and the two sons. So the two sons of Eli, the priest, were Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas. We don't know a lot about these two guys, but what we do know is they were supposed to follow and their father's footsteps as high priest. Instead, what we find is they, they really got trapped by selfishness. They got trapped with mine. And I, I think this is a theme we can all identify with. I wrote selfishness. I think we really, I think we can all identify with this. And if we didn't struggle with selfishness, I'm going to just tell you as a pastor, I would never have to have a conversation with a couple who's struggling in their marriage, would I? We always struggle in relationships because of selfishness, right? That's, that's where the problem comes from. So what if the big question that we want to answer today was this? With the Holy Spirit's grace, help, and power, how do we safeguard our hearts from spiritual self-centeredness? Let me ask it another way. With the power of the Holy Spirit, how do we protect our hearts from mine? How do we do that? Because church, that's what I want. I want to stand in front of God at the end of the day. And I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. And I want a church that can stand in front of God at the end of our days and look at him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not, oh my goodness, you're so selfish. I want to hear, well done. So how do we do that? How do we protect our hearts from that heart of mine? If you're taking notes or if you're following in your note guide, First, you have to fight spiritual apathy. Fight. Fight is not passive. If you're a passive person, this might be a challenge because we have to fight against spiritual apathy. Look at verse number 12. Chapter 2, verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Did, did you guys hear that? Worthless Men, that's rough talking, y'all. Like, that's some strong language right there. They were worthless men. Now, we know from Exodus 19 that Israel was supposed to be a kingdom of priests. It was supposed to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And yet, the priests that was supposed to be ruling the nation, they are worthless men. We don't know a lot about these two sons. Here's what we know. We know that they are in the city of Shiloh. We know that they're supposed to be taking care of the tabernacle. 
The tabernacle was a temporary dwelling place uh, for God, where God and people uh, met. These priests, they were supposed to teach the law of Moses. They were supposed to offer up the sacrifices that would cover the people from their sins. That, that's what was supposed to be going on. And yet they're called worthless men. If you're in the NIV, you probably read the word scoundrel, which sounds like a Han Solo movie, doesn't it? Like, but the, the scoundrels. Or if you go all the way back to the Hebrew, it says the sons of Belial. Y'all, sons of the devil. That's what they were just called. Y'all are the sons of the devil. That's what the Bible says about these two sons. But worse than that, did you see the last part? The last part says they did not know the Lord. That word know, it comes from the Hebrew yada. Yada is, it, it's intimate. It's personal. It's relational. It's not like if I say, hey, do you know the Lord? It doesn't mean that you should respond with, yeah, I know about the Lord. I know all about the Lord. John three sixteen for God so loved. And I'm going to go, no, 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 no. It's not what I asked. Do you yada? Do you intimately, personally know the Lord? Because these two guys, they didn't. They didn't know the Lord. There was no reverence at all for the Lord. And then here's what it looks like starting in verse 13. It says, the custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. That's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Here they are. They're watching as the people come to bring their sacrifice. And by law, they were supposed to take a portion of what was given. Just a portion, though, enough to sustain them and their families. That's what they were supposed to take. But do you see how they're taking advantage of the people right here? They're taking it from all of the Israelites. So all of a sudden, there's this greed that starts to sneak in. There's this mine mentality. They're supposed to be here serving the Lord, but they're serving themselves. Verse 15 says, moreover, before the fat was burned, which I'm going to come back to, before the fat was burned, the priest servant would come and say to the man who is sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw and if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Let me explain this real quick. Before the offering started, they were supposed to take the fat and burn the fat because the aroma was pleasing to the Lord. Y'all, it's summer. We know what meat on fire smells like, right? It is a good smell. And so this, in, in all honesty, that's what exactly what was supposed to happen. That aroma was just supposed to be an offering to the Lord. You weren't supposed to eat any of the fat meant for a sacrifice or drink any of the blood that was meant for the sacrifice. The priests knew this. The sons of Eli, they knew this. The people knew it. And so did you see what it said in verse number, in verse number 16, right? In verse number 16, they started to push back. They started to push back against, uh, against these priests because they knew that that didn't follow the law of Moses. And what did they say? They said, well, you can give it to us. 
or we're going to take it anyway because we want what we want and we want it now. Do you hear how gross this is? Like I, I hope, for real, I hope that this kind of turns your stomach a little bit. Because this is, this is spiritual abuse, church. These guys are taking their position and their authority and their power and they're using it in a very unholy way. They're using it to take advantage of people. But remember, there's two story arcs, right? We have Eli's sons and we have Samuel. So let's look at verse 18 and pick up with Samuel's story. Because what we're going to see, the sons of Eli keep pushing further and further away from the Lord. And you're going to see Samuel keeps leaning closer and closer into the Lord. Look at verse 18. It says, Samuel was ministering before the Lord. If you like to take notes in your Bible, please underline that right there. You'll see why in just a second. It'll make sense. Underline that right there. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. I would also underline linen ephod. It's going to be important in just a second. With a linen ephod. And his mother used to make him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, which is Hannah, and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So Eli's sons, they're apathetic. They're abusive. They're focused only on self. And then look what's going on with Samuel. Do you see this? First of all, he's wearing a linen ephod. Here's a picture of what an ephod is. It's a a sleeveless garment to cover the chest that a priest would wear. Church, did you hear that? A, A priest would wear this. Young Samuel is wearing an ephod. Look how verse 18 starts. It says, Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Just for kicks, you can go back and look at verse 11. In verse 11, it says, Samuel was ministering before Eli. Isn't that cool? Did you see that? Here's what happened. Some of you are like, I don't know why you're excited, like, at all. I don't get it. Here's what's going on. Eli has been leading young Samuel. He got him when he was, like, this big, right? And all of a sudden, Samuel's starting to grow, and he's leading him. Leadership 101, if you get to the basics of leadership, it's Maul, M-A-W-L, Maul, which stands for Model, Assist, Watch, and Leave. Right? As simple as you can get in leadership. Mall, mall. When you teach your kids to brush their teeth, isn't it true? First, you're like, hey, look, I'm brushing my teeth. You know, you show them how you brush your teeth and you brush it. And then you tell your kid, open your mouth. I'm going with a different toothbrush. I'm going to brush your teeth, right? And you, you assist them. You model it first and you assist. I'm going to brush your teeth for you. And then you hand them the toothbrush and you cross your arms and say, now I want to watch you. Now you do it, right? And you watch them do it. And then what do you do? You don't watch them brush their teeth every single day of their lives. You say, okay, you got this. I'm going to dust my hands. I'm going to trust you to do it, which works great until your oldest comes to you and says, dad, my toothpaste is spicy. And you're like, your toothpaste is, no, it's not. And you shouldn't say this to your kids. And I'm sorry I said this. It was a long time ago, long, long time ago. But I, here's what I said. I said, son, stop being a baby. Go back in there and brush your teeth. He was a baby. But anyway... <laughs> I was like, go brush your teeth. And he was like, but that is spicy. You know, and he goes in there and he's brushing, that is spicy. And he keeps crying. Then I realized he was using Bengay to brush his teeth. And I felt, <laughs> I felt 
like the worst dad on the planet. You have no idea. I felt like such a horrible human being. Like, I have to tell you more about that story sometime. That's a true story that really happened. That was a, I should say that for Father's Day, right? Like, let me tell you how awesome I am. Back to Eli's sons. Eli's sons, Eli's sons were a mess. And um, they weren't living in a way where they were trying to press closer to the Lord. And it really reminds me of something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Remember Matthew 7? Jesus says this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And that scripture, that scripture haunts me. See, I never want to look in the mirror or I never want to look at all of us who link arms and call this place our church home. I never want to look at us and see a people of apathy. And when I say apathy, I mean where we say, I know what God has called us to. I just don't care. That's what I mean by apathy. I never want us to look and see ourselves as a people of apathy. I want us to see in the mirror people who follow hard after the Lord with everything that we have. That's who we should be. Not people who dress ourselves with churchianity. You know what I mean, churchianity? Like where you say, I know when to go to church and what to wear to church and how to say things to sound churchy, but I have no yada. I have no, no real relationship with my Heavenly Father. I'm just trying to look the part. Church, we're called to more than that. So if we're going to safeguard our hearts, this is the question we're wrestling with. If we're going to safeguard our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit from the spiritual self-centeredness, we do it by fighting against spiritual apathy. And then number two and last, we resist moral corruption. We need to resist moral corruption. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, now Eli was very old. At this point, he's no longer old. He is very old. And he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. And how they lay down with women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. I cannot imagine as a dad what that would feel like. If you're not a parent, if you're like, no, I'm not a parent, I'm I'm not there yet. Imagine if the FBI called you and had a conversation with you about your best friend in the world. And said, let me tell you how morally corrupt, morally bankrupt, gross your friend is. Let me show you the evidence against them because that's what happened to Eli. All of a sudden he starts hearing these reports and the reports have gone way past a fork in the pot and it's gone way past meat on the grill. It's gone way, way past that. Now all of a sudden he hears that his boys who are supposed to be the priest, they are sleeping with the women. They're having relations with the women who are at the entrance to the tent, at the entrance to the tabernacle. Now, these women, they, they would have been prostitutes. They would have been people who were there to care for and take care of the Lord's temporary sanctuary. And so I don't think I'm too far off by saying this has gone past gross. This, is, this has gone past selfish. This is evil. 
this is evil. Essentially what they're doing is they've started to embrace some of the earliest forms of human trafficking. That's what this is. We're going to use our power, our position, our authority to make you do whatever we want, whenever we want. And that's where scripture continues. And Eli says to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So Eli's like, boys, what are you doing? He doesn't quite call them to repentance. But he says, what are you doing? He says, don't you know, like, if you have a problem against a person, like, God can mediate that. Let me, let me call time just for a moment. If you're struggling, and I've been very serious about this, if you're struggling in relationship with a friend, with a, with a relative, with a spouse, with a coworker, those books on how to help them in relationships, those are great books. And counselors are fantastic, but I just highly want to encourage you just to stop dead in your tracks and pray to the creator of the entire universe and say, God, will you get right in the middle of this relationship and help? Why would we ever skip that? But we do, don't we? We almost act like, oh, I didn't even think of that. So so let's just start there. Start with praying to the creator of the whole universe and saying, I need you, Lord Right in the middle of this conversation. I want you just to come and wrap your hands around this situation and get right in the messy part of it. Okay, time in. So that's what Eli says to his sons. Eli's like, if if you are interacting with someone and there's a problem and you sinned against a person, God can help mediate that. But if you if you sin against God, which you have, he's just he's just flabbergasted at this point. His sons are so vile at that point. But remember, there's two stories going on, right? Look at Samuel's story. Look what it says. Verse 26, now the young man Samuel, he continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. So Eli's sons, I think think we've backed up now what Scripture was saying about wicked, right? I I think I've covered that now. You get the point. They, They were wicked. They were no good. They were worthless, Scripture says. But then on the other side, we have Samuel. And what's it say about him? He continues to grow in stature. He continues to grow in favor with the Lord and with people. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Jesus. Because look what it says about Jesus in Luke 2.52. In Luke 2.52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Like Samuel, Jesus grew in a time that was morally bankrupt. It was a time of chaos. It was a time of mine. And how did Jesus respond? He didn't do it by building himself, did he? In fact, you know what he said at one point? He said, I have no place even to lay my head. Son of man's here. I have no place even to lay my head. And yet he would talk with those who no one would talk. He touched those who no one would touch. He served church. He got down on his hands and his knees, and he washed the feet of the disciples. But bigger than any of those, he took the weight and the shame of the sin of the entire world on his back on Calvary. And he paid the ultimate price as he was crucified. And the story ended there. 
it's still chaos, isn't it? If the story ended there, it's still tragedy. But it doesn't end there because there's hope. On the third day, he conquered sin. He conquered death and rose again. And my friends, I think sometimes we hear stories like today. You know what I think we do is I think we look in the mirror and we go, man, I feel way better about myself. Thanks, Pastor, because I'm not near as bad as those two guys. You know, I feel feel good right now. But I think the thing is we see their selfishness, and their selfishness is so extreme and so out there that it's easy for us to look and say, I can identify that as selfishness. I think we're sneaky. I do. I think we clothe it a little bit in some church and some good manners or maybe a few morals thrown in there, and I think we mask our selfishness oftentimes. Or maybe it's just me. Let me tell you a story about me being selfish. And I didn't even realize at the time. That's a funny thing. My last church was growing. Does this sound familiar? It was growing so much. There was, there was a hard time parking like we did. People parked on the grass. Again, sound familiar? And um, we didn't know what to do. But our problem wasn't in the main worship center. Our problem was with our kids' space. We had so many kids. We were just kind of shoving them in there and shutting the door and hoping, like, it didn't pop, you know. And, and then hoping that the fire marshal, like, we've got some retired fire marshals that go here. And so it's good that this is past. You know, it's past tense. It's not going on now. And so, I mean, but we really, like, it was getting kind of sketchy how many kids we were putting in a room. And so we, um, we went to the elders. We went to the elders and said, guys, we need to do something. And, of course, elders say the same thing they always say, hire an architect, Right? We need a plan. Let's hear what the plan is. So the architect gave me the plan. I'll never forget this. It was a Monday night that I met with the elders. And I did everything you're supposed to do as a leader. You know, I told them, here's our 75-year history. And over the past three or four years, here's what the Lord has been doing financially. Here's where we are. And then there was a big reveal. You know, the da-da-da, here's the drawings, and here's the price tag. And man by man, as we ran around the table, do you know what they all said? They all said, man, Billy, we, we don't know if we can afford this or not, but we got to do something. So my vote would be yes. Let's go to the church. We need to get a bank. We need to get a loan. Like, let's do it. Man by man, we did it all the way around the table. And probably one of my best moves ever in leadership, I, um, I said, even though we've got all the yeses and we're all together, let's do this. We have an elder retreat coming up next Saturday. Let's just get alone in our prayer closets. Let's make sure we're going to stay together. Let's get alone in our prayer closet, and let's just seek the Lord as we're getting ready for that retreat, and then we'll take the official vote. And I believe that what the Lord did was no less than miraculous. I did not even realize in the moment how how much I was just going into this place of mine. I I didn't realize it. How selfish I was being in the moment. But the Lord, it's incredible, spoke to every single one of us. And by the time we went to take a vote, every single one of us voted no. It was such a God moment. It was so beautiful because here's what we said. We didn't have a Samaritan house in our community church. We weren't taking care of our people at all. There, there was no care for the least of these at all. There was no dream center like Woodside has. We, we had nothing like that. And so we said, we are going to just draw a line in the sand right here. And our job first is to stomp out hunger. We need to address the space. And buildings came, just so you know. The buildings eventually got there. But we said, we need to do our first thing first. 
We need to learn to take care of our community and our people. And through that, through that, there were partnerships that started with the schools. Incredible part. Like with eight of the elementary schools, all of a sudden we were doing 400 backpacks full of food every single weekend. Every weekend. Every, so more important than that, this is so cool. More important than that, it was not about just the backpacks and feeding the kids. You should have seen the way that the army of God rose up. Do you know how many volunteers it takes to stuff 400 backpacks? To get the food for 400 backpacks stuffed full of food? But here's what happened. Principals started to contact us and to say, we know you're doing this because you love the Lord. We get it. We understand that. But let me tell you about the realities in our world. Kids that were showing signs of malnutrition on Monday, all of a sudden they're ready to go come Monday morning. We feed them throughout the week with government programs with free and reduced lunches. On the weekends, they weren't getting the food. So referrals to the office, they're going down. Their grades are going up. Not only that, relationships with the parents are increasing because it doesn't feel like us against them. It feels like we're working together in this process. We saw a brand-new food pantry launch called 12 Baskets because of that, which is still going strong. Again, it's not quite as large as Samaritan House is. But all of a sudden, you had a, a thriving food pantry in the community. And it wasn't because I was there at all of these things. It was really the church rising up. And I want you to think about that. You have gifts and talents and passions and burdens for a reason. Do you know how many people have been sitting for years in a seat just like you? They've been sitting for years thinking, I have this thing that excites me, that excites the heart of God. I just don't know what to do with it. And so they sat. They didn't serve the Lord. They sat. They had these burdens. They had these burdens to say, I, I stay up late at night with tears going down my face because I'm broken over these things. I just don't know what to do with it. I, I have these gifts, these God-given gifts that when I do these things, it is the power of God working through me. And there's no question in my mind, that's the power of God working through me. I have talents. I have things I've been trained in. I have things maybe I've just been able to do since I was a little boy or a little girl. Like I've just been able to do it. Listen, he didn't give you that just so you could hang on to it and listen to me. That's not why he gave it to you. He gave it to you for body health. He gave it to you for kingdom health. So before I show you the takeaway, I want to start with, I think, the hardest question of all. How are you doing with that at home? At home, isn't that where Samuel started? By watching Eli? And that where Eli's kids started? By watching Eli, I don't know where things went wrong for his kids. I don't, I don't know what exactly happened. But start at home. How are you doing at home? How are you doing serving your parents or your kids, your spouse, your best friend? How are you doing serving the neighbor across the street? How are you doing serving that person? Or at work? That's a messy question, isn't it? Because we have a culture now that says, well, no, you don't understand. You don't, you don't do extra things unless they're going to pay you for it. Like, that's, that's the way it... How are you doing with these small acts of kindness done with the Jesus kind of love? How are you doing with that? Because I'm going to tell you, it changes everything. In this world of chaos, in this world of extreme chaos, our calling is to serve the Lord. I want to give you a tool that you can use for right here within the walls of the church. If you look in your bulletin, there's a thing that says serving opportunities. And it was actually a lot of fun 
creating this with the staff team. This, this was a lot of fun going through and creating this. Some of this I didn't even know was a thing like drone photographer. I didn't, I didn't know that was such a thing in the church. But, but there's needs for everything. I know that sometimes it's very, very simple. It's just saying, no, I have two hands. I'm willing to help. In a couple of weeks, we're going to dump a bunch of mulch out there. We just need people who are going to say, I'm willing to help spread it. I'm good at spreading stuff. You know, I can spread the fool out of things. And, you know, if, that, if that's you, just, just make it known. But here's, here's what I don't want to happen. I, I, don't, I don't want to be your pastor in such a way that says a couple years later, I find out that you have some, some passions or some gifts, and yet you've just been sitting on them because we never asked. Does that make sense? I, I, I want to know. Guys, I want to know where you're feeling compelled to serve, where you're feeling compelled to be part of the body of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the men and the women who are filling this space. God, I pray that we do more than clothe ourselves with churchianity, but in this world of chaos, we truly serve you. Lord, I know that you've given everyone these these gifts and talents for a reason. We want to be good stewards of those. At the end of our day, we just want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And we know we do that by loving you, loving you so much. We do what your holy word tells us to do, and we love people. Even in the messy spots of life, we love people. Lord, I do thank you for the graduates. I thank you for this, for this place of, of hitting, hitting a milestone in their journey. I pray that spiritually it's... Um, not just a mountaintop experience for them, but just a place where they can put their feet and reach new heights. Lord, we want to bring you honor and glory with all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, I'm going to ask you to fill these out. And um, right outside these doors, there's a connection desk. You can turn them in right there. But this time, I want to invite you to stand as we continue to worship.